grab your Bible and head to the New Testament. Mark chapter 6 is where we're going to be, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the four Gospels, we're in the Gospel of Mark. And we're in chapter 6, and we're going to go through it here in a second. And what you're going to see, whether you've been in church uh, your whole life, born in a pew, or this is your first Sunday, you've probably heard this story before. Uh, some of you saw this story uh, laid out on a flannel graph when you were little. Some of you have no idea what flannel graph means. And, uh, but I think you're all going to recognize Jesus feeding the 5,000, five loaves, two fishes. And we're going to get into that story, and it's in Mark chapter 6. And the danger of a story that's really familiar like this when we come to Scripture is that we can see the miracle but miss the message. And so what we're going to do is really just read this together. I'm going to invite you to get Bible out. We're going to have it on the screen if you need to look up there. Get your phone out, whatever you need to do, and just kind of follow along. We're going to see some details that maybe you haven't noticed before, and then we're going to pull out of this miracle the message of what is Jesus trying to teach us? How does Jesus work, and why does Jesus work the way he does, and what does that teach us about our lives? So get there with me. Let's look at it together. Mark 6, verse 30, it says this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So they're returning to Jesus because they had left Jesus for the very first time. A couple weeks ago, we talked about this, that Jesus, for the very first time, sends them out two by two. And he doesn't send them out with much. He says, don't take uh, bread, don't take bag, don't take money, but he sends them out with each other. That's basically all they have. And so they come back from their first mission trip and they start telling Jesus, all excited, hey, Jesus, look what we did. Look what we taught. And they're excited about that. And that's the scene we come to. And just remember this, this moment of they didn't have anything. Jesus told them, don't take bread. Don't take a bag, fanny pack, leave that at home, right? Don't take anything, just you. Remember that because that's going to be helpful in a moment. And then we come to verse 31. Jesus says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. This is a rhythm for Jesus. He starts to involve the disciples in this rhythm. Work, rest. God started this rhythm at creation. Work and then rest. But we're going to see that's easier said than done at this point because the hype train has reached stalker status. Right? We're going to see it. Verse 33. It says, now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And so just picture this. People see Jesus, the disciples, they're headed down this path, this trajectory, and they kind of run around a little bit to meet them there before they get there. This is like Bieber fever or, or Beatles fever, whatever generation you grew up in, Right? They're following them around and beating them to the place that they're going to welcome them. And it's crowds of people, you notice, coming from different towns, not just one town. People are coming from all over to try to gather with Jesus. And then in verse 34, we see when Jesus went ashore, he saw this great crowd and he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is referencing a passage in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. And notice, this is what you see with Jesus. He's going to accomplish some amazing miracles. He's going to do powerful things. He is the king of the kingdom. But his first inclination is love. It's compassion. It's not, hey, guys, messing up my, my desolate place. It's not so desolate with you here. 
You're messing up my work-rest balance. Like, Jesus says, you know what? Those things are important, but people are important. And he has compassion on them. And it says he began to teach them many things. So Jesus starts preaching a sermon, always ready. Verse 35, it says it grew late. His disciples come to him and say, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So classic church problem, sermons going long, people are hungry. Anybody relate? Okay, don't say yes. Um, Verse 37, but he answered them. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And that's interesting because in the Greek, that you is emphasized. So Jesus is saying, hey, I don't have to do anything with this. You give them something to eat. And they say to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And that brings us to our first point. If you take notes, our first point is this that Jesus will often call you to do what seems impossible. Jesus will often call you to do what seems impossible. There's a couple reasons why this would seem impossible to the disciples. Uh, The first is this. Later on in the passage, we read that there was about 5,000 men present. So these crowds that were stalking Jesus and the disciples, about 5,000 men. Now, most scholars believe, well, that was just the men. What about the women and the children? 5,000 at carry the two It's like 20,000 people. So this isn't just like a little small group. This is a massive crowd of people, and Jesus says, oh, yeah, you want them to eat? Like the sermon went long, you're hungry? You give them something to eat. I love that about Jesus. Just logic, strategy, like math in their head. He's just like, no, I operate to a different math. You give them something to eat, 20,000 people. Now, we have an amazing college young adult ministry. We just mentioned the porch and how it's growing. Uh, And we have some amazing leaders who lead that ministry. But used to, my wife and I used to lead that ministry. And I remember one night, uh, it was chili night, and we had about 30 college students in our home to feed them chili. And after about two crockpots were scraped clean, my wife and I were scrounging to our fridge desperately like, we got to give these guys more food. Like, they don't stop. That was 30, right? You got 20,000 people, sermon went long, church is going long, I'm hangry. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, just why don't you give them something to eat? (laughs) It's impossible. Jesus, that's, that's unrealistic. The second reason why we see this would seem impossible is, remember the disciples, they just returned from a trip. And what did Jesus tell them to take? Just take one tunic. Hey, don't take much beyond that. Don't, definitely don't take a bag. Definitely don't take money. Don't take bread. They just got back. Pockets empty. And Jesus is like, 20,000 people, yeah, give them something to eat. Like the bread that you don't have that I told you not to take. Like, go, go buy them something with the money that I told you not to bring. You see, and the disciples They kind of sense this. They're they're catching on, and there's a little bit of a sarcasm here in the Gospel of Mark. I don't know if you caught that. But the disciples basically say, Jesus, what do you want us to do? Buy 200 denarii worth of bread? Now, a denarii was a day's wage. They're saying, hey, Jesus, oh, yeah, you just want us to take like 200 day's wage, so about 35 grand uh, that we don't have because you told us not to bring anything and just go buy everybody food. Is that what you wanted to do, Jesus? 
Like, Peter, you, you got some money you've been holding out on us? Andrew, check your pockets. Go a little deeper. And they're being a little sarcastic. Like, Jesus, what you are calling us to do, it is unrealistic. It is impossible. And so this would seem impossible to them. And this is extreme, right? 20,000 people, that's a lot of food, half a year's wages to come up with. There's no ATM. But we have things like this that are impossible for us today. Jesus calls us to impossible things, not quite like this, but different things for us today that to us seem impossible, right? Uh, Things like in scripture we see, hey, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And we look at that and we say, Jesus, life doesn't really work that way. I mean, I don't know, Jesus, I mean, I know, like, you were alive 2,000 years ago, and, like, the Bible was written a long time ago, but, you know, this is 2019. And, Jesus, if you want to get ahead in life, if you want to succeed and provide for your family, you got to climb that ladder. And not only do you have to climb that ladder, you got to nudge some people off on your way to the top. And Jesus is like, yeah, I I see, that's what our culture says, but... In humility, consider other, others better than yourselves. Hey, hey, why don't you start at the bottom of the ladder because to serve is to be great in my kingdom. We're like, Jesus, I don't, I don't know if you know how life works. That, that's kind of unrealistic. Jesus calls us to the impossible of belonging to a church like a member to a body. Not just attending a church or being a spectator at a church, but being a participator at a church. And when things get messy, you covenant and you say, hey, we're going to lock arms together and be foxhole friends. And we're going to do this thing together, even when it gets awkward and even it gets messy. And there's, there's, there's conflict in the church. And Jesus says, hey, I want you to belong to the church like a member of a body. You are one. And we're like, Jesus, but people are annoying. I mean, Jesus, have you ever worked with people because they're hard to work with? Are you going to be a member of a body connected to a local church? And Jesus is like, yeah, I, I do. And I want you to confess your sins to each other when you do have conflict. Don't defend and deflect. Repent and forgive. Confess your sins to each other. Yeah, I want you to do that. Uh, because when you forgive each other and do that, you'll actually be healed. That's my recipe for healing. Jesus will call us to the impossible of loving our spouse unconditionally. And we'll look at that and say, but Jesus, I mean, they watched The Bachelor. I mean, Jesus, they let all the hot water run and don't leave anything for me. I mean, Jesus, there's a way to squeeze toothpaste out of the tube. And they obviously don't get that. Like after all these years, I've tried to teach them, I've tried to coach them. You want me to love him unconditionally? I mean, Jesus, I mean, marriage is hard. I mean, I know everything about him. I know everything about her. I've seen them in their darkest days. And it gets ugly, and it's not pretty, and it gets dark. And you you want me to love them unconditionally? And Jesus says, yeah, I want you to do that. And in fact, yeah, as you see all these things, love them more, pursue them more, because there's no better picture of how I love you. Because marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. See, Jesus will call you to what seems impossible, to what seems, this is unrealistic, Jesus. 
This doesn't compute in our math equation. And Jesus will say, I know it doesn't compute for you or your culture, but it computes for my kingdom and step into that. Why does he do that? Notice for the disciples, it's not because it's necessary. He's creating a crisis, creating an impossible moment by design. Hey, go back to the story. Jesus is preaching, large crowd, people followed him, church is running long, people are hungry. Anybody dying of starvation here? This isn't a couple weeks ago with a little girl, remember the little girl? She was on the brink of death, and they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you have to go right now to heal this little girl. She is in the bed about to die. He gets there, she is dead, and he raises her to life. That's out of necessity. That's a miracle that needed to happen, amen? You come here, people aren't dying of starvation. You can go a couple days without food. They're just hungry after church. They'll be okay. I mean, the disciples, we crack on the disciples so much, they had a good idea. Just send them into the town, boost the economy, 20,000 people go buy a lot of food. That would help, right? That's a good idea. Jesus, why are you creating a crisis here? Why do we have to instantaneously provide food for 20,000 people? Why does this miracle even need to happen? And Jesus is trying to teach them. Don't just see the miracle, see the message. Jesus is trying to teach you this morning, don't just pay attention to the miracle, see the message. That Jesus is creating impossible moments for them and he will for you because he wants to teach you that left alone to yourselves, you are completely and utterly helpless. You're inadequate. That in the, that moment, the disciples are looking at 20,000 people and they're opening their pockets and Jesus, hey, we got, we got nothing. And he wants them to feel like that. And he wants you to feel like that when he calls you to the impossible. So you can realize, I can't do this. Because it's then that you look at a God who can do this. And you see the glory of that. And you begin to realize that his power is made perfect, not in strength, but in weakness. That's what Jesus is doing. Don't just see the miracle and miss this message. Jesus will often call you to do what seems impossible, and he does it on purpose. Some of you are in impossible moments financially. You're like, Jesus, you, you know what the rent is. I mean, Jesus, you know raising a family, that's, that's hard. And I'm the provider, and I'm supposed to figure all that out, but I got to work night shifts. And Jesus, you, you see all this. Like, it seems impossible. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm trying to show you. My power is made perfect, not in that you have it all together. My power is made perfect when you realize you don't. And so I'm going to refine you. I'm going to shape you through your finances. And in fact, I want you to give sacrificially along the way. Jesus, once we get ready to do that, once we have all these things lined up and check all these boxes, college tuition for our kids paid for, like then we'll give. And Jesus is like, no, I want to put you in the impossible moment. I want you to give now so you can worship me, so you can see you are utterly helpless without me. He'll put you in the impossible moment financially. He'll put you in the impossible moment physically, and there'll be sickness in your life or in your family's life. He'll put you in the impossible moment relationally with other people that you don't like, 
And Jesus is going to say, hey, that coworker who annoys you the most, share the gospel with him. That's unrealistic. Nobody likes that guy. Well, yeah, I want you to share the gospel with him. Jesus creates crisis. He creates the impossible because he wants to show you his power, not yours. But the amazing thing about Jesus is he doesn't just put this power on display for us to watch from the sidelines. He puts us in the game. He doesn't just, like a theater, say, hey, you get a front row seat, watch me move. He says, no, get on the stage with me. You're going to move with me. And that's what we see as we continue. Verse 38, look at that verse. Jesus says to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, hey, we got five loaves, two fish. And I love this. Jesus is like, perfect. All right, next step, everybody get into groups. <laughs> the disciples got to be wondering, like, is there a method to this madness? Verse 39, then he commands them all to sit down in the groups on the grass. Verse 40, so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looks up to heaven and he says a blessing and he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And it says he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Our second point, if you take notes, is Jesus will make provision but it will often involve you in the process. Notice after Jesus blesses the bread and breaks it, he doesn't pass it out from the stage. Like, you get a loaf. You get a loaf. Like Jesus is an Oprah, right? He doesn't just toss it all out to them like blat on auto blast with his amazing superhero arm, okay? What does he do? He breaks it, and then he says, let's give it to the disciples. You said it before all the people. You go out. You're going to be a part of my provision. And they get to see, but not just see, they get to be a part of this massive provision where everybody eats and they're satisfied. This is like a buffet, right? This isn't just like a little sample. They are satisfied, 20,000-ish people. And to keep it consistent with church lunch, they even have leftovers, right? How many leftovers? How many baskets? 12. How many disciples? 12. Each one gets one. They all get to play a role in this. Jesus doesn't have to do it that way. He could rain bread down from the sky. How do we know? He does that in the book of Exodus with the Israelites. He says, no, I'm going to make provision, but I'm going to involve you in the process. You're going to get to hand it out. You're going to get to see it. It's not a mirage. There actually is enough bread and fish to feed 20,000 people, and there were just five loaves and two fishes. And they're going to get to put their hands in the game and be a part of it and pick up all the leftovers. Each one of them is going to have a basket. They're going to play a key role. And here's the amazing thing. This is completely independent, independent of their ability, of their circumstance, of their resources. They, they don't have anything. They have five loaves, two fish. Most scholars believe you shouldn't be thinking about like the high yeast, like big, thick bread. You should be thinking about barley loaves that are really flat and skinny. And they knew they had that. And God used them anyway. God is using them, not because of their ability, but, but in spite of it. Jesus is saying, give me your all, 
even if it's a little, and I'm going to do big things. That's what's happening. It's like my little three-year-old daughter when she's on the monkey bars. Just yesterday, my three-year-old daughter, we have monkey bars out in our backyard, and she goes and climbs up on them really courageously, and she's hanging from the top bar, just dangling, right? No hope in the world. And she's like, Daddy, Daddy. And so I'll run over there, and she's, what she's trying to do, she's got a goal. She's a smart girl. She's trying to get across to the fort on the other side. And she thinks, what a fun way to go, the monkey bars, even though she can't do them. And so I go over there, and, and I could just take her off the monkey bars, she's three, and throw her over my shoulder and run to the other side, right? And put her in the fort. She would be happy. But no, what do I do? I kind of hold her on my shoulders. I grab her legs, and I teach her how to take one hand and put it on the first bar, and then take the next hand. And they're monkey bars, so kind of like a monkey, swing from bar to bar, and I'm holding her the whole time. And listen, you should see her face while she's doing this. It's like the most exciting part of her life, right? She's just geeking out that she's actually doing it. She's going from bar to bar, just like a monkey, and she gets to the end. And right now, my three-year-old daughter is always doing this. When she finishes something or accomplishes something, she's always saying, I did it. She'll get to the end of the fort, and despite the fact that I carried her the whole way, she's like, I did it, almost a little arrogant (laughs) for a three-year-old, right? I'm like, let's calm that down. I think I was like 80%, you were 20, like, and listen, that's a picture of what it's like to be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. That's a picture of what it's like for God to make provision and you to be a part of the process. You just... Walking along, could Jesus have raised uh, or dropped down manna, bread from the sky? Yeah, he could have. But now he says, hey, I'm going I'm to hold you. I'm going to carry you, and, and you just walk. Hey, you just you pass out the bread. I'm going to make it happen, but I'm going to let you be a part of it. This is how Jesus works, and this is what I've seen in my life. It's what I've seen most vividly with our church Uh, Some of you know the way we started this church was unconventional to say the least. Uh, My family and I moved to Phoenix, didn't know a soul. And we moved here with a a large church to start a new church. And just a few months into that process, barely got it off the ground, it closed. And we were cut from the large church budget. And we were laid off and we felt like in that moment, like, God, why did you bring us here? And so we prayed, we talked to people, got wise counsel. A lot of people said, hey, call it a day and move on. But we felt like for some reason God was calling us and saying, hey, I'm going to redeem this situation. I'm going to make provision. I'm going to involve you in the process. Hey, plant a church. And we looked at God with our five loaves and our two fish. And we looked at God with no money in our pockets, literally from a church perspective, no money in the church. And we said, God, I don't know if you, that seems impossible I mean, we don't have money as a church. I mean, we just moved here. We don't know anybody. And nobody knows us. Nobody's heard me preach before. We don't have a church name. That seems important. We don't have a church building. That seems important. And Jesus says, yeah, but I'm calling you to to start a new church, and I'm going to redeem it through you. I'm going to carry you across the monkey bars, and you're going to get the joy of like, oh, we're doing it. I did it. 
And Jesus is like, yeah, I, I'm going I'm to plan a church and I'm going to do it through you. And so we went to everybody we knew and we made the pitch. We got no money. We got no building. We got no staff. And I know you've never heard me preach and I don't know anything about you and I don't know if I trust you to help me start a church. And people were like, hmm, let me pray about that. Okay, yeah, sign me up. And some people, some of you still here today, were part of seeing God work through you to see Phoenix Bible Church started. A church that many people, despite the fact they were only five years old in October, many people think has been around for 75 years. Okay? We're about to celebrate five years of God doing this work. And God's just showing us, hey, I'm going to use you. I'm going to make provision, but I'm going to use you in the pro pro process even when it doesn't make sense, even when it seems impossible. And it didn't end there. Last, just last year, we got evicted out of the, the location that we met in for almost the whole of our church. And we had six weeks to move. And some of you were here for that. And, and I just started looking at that. And I was like, Jesus, okay, uh, five loaves, two fish. Like, I, I don't have much to offer in this moment. And I'm the pastor. Like, I'm supposed to solve this. And Jesus is like, no. You're not supposed to solve this. That's not your job. You're supposed to seek me. You have that. Five loaves, two fishes. Seek me. Pray. Don't scramble. Don't solve. Surrender. So we took a week to pray. And we made a list and started thinking, Jesus, it's hard to move a church in six weeks. Like, we started the church out of an impossible situation, but maybe this is just too impossible. And honestly, I thought a few times in those moments, it was good. Fun ride, but maybe it's over. Maybe we'll find a cafeteria. Maybe some people will follow us over there, and maybe we'll pull a trailer. Everybody get excited about that. And I had those thoughts, right? And Jesus is like, no, just trust me. I'm going to carry you across the monkey bars. I'm going to make provision, and I'm going to let you be a part of it. And Jesus didn't take us to a cafeteria and do portable church and pull a trailer. Jesus brought us, really within less than a week, we didn't call anybody. Jesus brought us to a church building from a school uh, to a church building on a Sunday morning to plant roots and be a kingdom outpost in this city to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to have a sign out front so people know this is a hospital for, he for healing and hurting people. Come on in. And, and Jesus did that. He creates the impossible. He creates the unrealistic. And not only does he make provision, but he does it through you. And so less than a year into this building, we've had more baptisms than we've ever had in one year in the life of our church. On Easter, we have to plan two services just to make sure we have enough chairs to fit everybody in this room. Right? This is the way God rolls. He makes provision in impossible circumstances to try to teach you and show you his power, but he's gracious enough to let you be a part of it. And he doesn't just do that in a church. He does that in your life. I know some of you this morning, you're, you're, you're in seemingly impossible circumstances. Some of you, men, you're, you're, you're called to lead a family. You're called to, to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You're called to disciple your kids. And you're looking at all of that, and you come home tired at the end of a day, and you're like, Jesus, this seems impossible. Like, I just want to turn on SportsCenter. I don't even know what I would say to my kids as I put them to bed. And then you're looking at the, the kids are getting older. Like, 
What about Snapchat? What do I do, Jesus, what do I do about Snapchat? Help me. And like, I don't know how to do this, Jesus, but you've called me to leave my family. This is unrealistic. And Jesus is like, yeah, I want you to bring all you have. And even if it's a little, I'm going to do big things in and through you. And so what if you just, yeah, you're exhausted. Yeah, you don't know what to say. Yeah, you didn't go to seminary, but you're called the disciple of your kids anyway. Why don't you just grab your kids by the hand when they're going to bed at night and just say, let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge that you're God and we're not. Thank you for this day. Help us to rest well. Jesus, pray that these little kids sleep all night in their bed. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay? Hallelujah. What if you just gave your all, even if it was just a little, so God would do big things? Right? Just, I got five loaves. I, just, I, I only know a couple Bible verses. Yeah, lead your family. Take, take your all, give me the five loaves and two fishes, let's go to work. Right? Some of you, you feel that leading a family, relational conflict, your conflict at work, the promotion that you just think you have to have, the house that you think you have to have, and it seems impossible, and you feel like, ah, I got five loaves, and Jesus is like, yeah, bring them, we'll go to work. I'm going to make provision, and I'm going to use you in the process. Jesus is that gracious. We continue. Look at the verse with me, Mark 6, verse 45, our last point. It says, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was up against them in the boat. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And I love this. It says he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he gets in the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened. Third point is Jesus will always show you the power is not the provision, but the person. Here, here's the scene. It's late at night, fourth watch of the night. Jesus goes off to pray. Doesn't have to do that. He knows the climate. He knows the weather. But he goes off on the mountainside to pray and says, you guys get in the boat by yourselves. They go out in the boat, wind, is coming, they're painfully trying to move forward and not going anywhere, and Jesus begins to, to walk on water, and they are terrified, and they think it's a ghost, and again, he makes provision, but this time, it's not bread, it's not even life vest, the provision this time is himself, right? Don't be afraid, it is I, and he gets in the boat, and the wind ceases. Just his presence alone. No bread needed, no life vest needed. Jesus is the provision. You see, the ultimate point of today is not go big or go home. 
hey, your dreams and visions are too small. Enlarge the tents. Hey, don't stop, don't, don't think in scarcity mindset about your life and your resources and what God has called you to do. Think in an abundant mindset. And we can pull some of those things away from this passage. That's not the ultimate point of this passage. The ultimate point of this passage is, it is I. Do not be afraid. And when I get involved in your life, I'm all the provision you need. The wind ceases. The financial trouble ceases. The relational conflict ceases. Because if you get the person, you get the provision. But if you just chase after the provision, you might miss the person. If you just look at the miracle, you might miss the message. And Jesus is showing you, walking on water, hey, hey, don't miss the message for the miracle. Don't just look at the provision and miss the person. You need me. And he gives them himself. And the sad part for the disciples is verse 52, they're still stuck on the loaves. It says, as it ends, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. I'm just trying to picture that. Jesus, God in the flesh, walking on water, gets into the boat, wind ceases. Jesus, God in the flesh, just walked on water, is with them in the boat, and no more wind. And they're like, but how did he do the five loaf things? Like, how did he stretch that out? Like, Peter, did you go buy it secretly in town? We weren't looking. You did, didn't you? Peter, always sucking up. I, they're still debating, like, how did he do that? Like, what was he trying to show us with that? And God is in the boat with them. The person, not just the provision of the bread, he's with them. He's their guy. He's their ringleader. They're his posse. They got the VIP pass. And they're talking about the loaves. They saw the miracle, but they missed the message. What about you? Heard this story a lot of times. Jesus breaks bread. It's kind of like a picnic, right? And he provides all this stuff, and you saw the flannel graph, or you heard of the story. I don't know if I believe it. Listen, here's the point of this story. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The ultimate provision you need, I know it's hard, but the ultimate provision you need is not that financial help. The ultimate provision you need is not to get your spouse to be nice to you. The ultimate provision you need is not that promotion at work. It's not that spouse that you don't have yet, and you're thinking, Jesus, I'm pushing 30, and I'm still single. I thought I'd be married with kids by now. Everybody else has kids. Everybody else has a spouse. Like, Jesus, I need the provision of the family, the American dream. And Jesus is wanting to tell you, don't miss the message behind the miracle. You don't need those things. You don't need provision. You need the person of Jesus Christ. And he'll get in the boat with you in those moments. And the wind will cease. And maybe there'll be some things that are still unclear and confusing, but you'll have Jesus, the God of the universe, who lived the perfect life that you could not, who died a death in your place for your greatest need, your sin. And he made provision. And he doesn't just allow you to watch from the sidelines, but he says, I want you to jump in the game and I'm gonna use you in all your flaws. Don't miss the message 
behind the, the miracle. As we close today, we're going to take communion, and it's fitting because this is the message. Right? Jesus distributed bread to 20,000 people. That's not the greatest miracle he ever did. The greatest miracle Jesus ever did, he became bread. His body was broken for you. And it wasn't just to meet your hunger needs after a long church service and a sermon went too long. It was to meet your need of sin of being condemned to hell without God. And Jesus came along and says, hey, I'm not going to break bread and give it to you so you can eat it. I'm going to break bread that's my body and give you myself because you need me. And I'm going to forgive you of your sins and I'm going to free you of them and I'm going to allow you to be used for my kingdom and my purposes for the glory of God and your joy. And so we're going to take communion and we're going to be reminded not just of the miracle, but of the message, of the point that we would see Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you, come down this center aisle, dip the bread and the juice or the wine, and you would remember, if you know Jesus, you would take time to remember what he has done for you. And some of you this morning, you need to cry out to Jesus. You've been asking for a lot of things. You've been asking for the, the physical to change, the financial to change the psychological, the change. You've been asking Jesus, hey, I need all these things, all these provisions, and Jesus is wanting you to say in this moment, but I need you more. If you would just get in the boat, and some of you need to cry out, Jesus, just get in the boat. Just abide with me, Jesus. And we're gonna spend a few moments doing that as we take communion, and I would just encourage you, don't, don't miss this moment. Don't harden your heart. Your heart feel a little hard today? Ask God to change that. Ask Jesus to show you himself. It is I. Do not be afraid. Don't harden your heart. Don't miss this moment. Cry out to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Let's pray. God, thank you for this miracle, but I thank you more for this message, that the message of the person and work of Jesus Christ, that at the end of the day, as followers of you, the beauty is that we get you. And that in our shame, in our sin, in our brokenness, in our lack, in our just five loaves and two fishes, we, we don't have much. God, you come along and say, I'm going to be enough. I'm going to be sufficient. And so, God, I pray this morning that we would cry out to you. God, the one who is not limited by nature, but the one who lapped nature, the one who walked on water. If we could just get you, if we could just abide in you, that's the goal. We don't need to solve our situation. We need to seek you. So help us do that now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.